It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Let's start with this. Who is the Speaker of the House? What are they for? Why do they exist? And why should we care who has that job, who that person is? I've known a number of men who've been Speaker of the House, but there is an absolute fault line between the Speakers of the past and the Speakers of the present. The dividing line is one Newt Gingrich, the gentleman from Georgia. The way he transformed the Speakership is incredible. He took it from being a job of herding cats and raising money to a job of leading the populist movement across the country in a clear policy direction. And he did it over the course of more than a decade. Let's rewind to the 1980s. Newt, an aspiring leader, a bomb thrower, a student of history, knew that to achieve the first Republican House majority since 1952, it was going to take a lot more than just fundraising and organization building. It would take a facility for communication that needed to be organic and intentional, built up in the form of GOPAC audio tapes sent out to legislators and political activists across the country. People would listen to them as they were driving. A combination of history lessons, political and polling data, and communications guidance that provided a graduate political course to conservatives across the country. But what made the biggest difference was media. Newt Gingrich understood media in a way that no one before him did. He made effective use of the C-SPAN cameras in a way no one expected. On the House floor, Newt had Republicans, solidly in the minority in the 80s, with not even 170 members in the House, take to the podium to give speeches that could be played on local news and create the ideal of a politician as a TV figure, a commentator on world events. Tip O'Neill, the red-nosed Irish Boston speaker at the time, couldn't stand the dynamic. So, in an attempt to make the speeches seem less important, he ordered the cameras for C-SPAN to pan the House floor, showing that there were no members listening to the speeches in question, and that most of the time you were addressing an audience of chairs. The moment when that change happened was actually captured on camera, called out by Republicans at the time. Here's Congressman Bob Walker of Pennsylvania. I do want to take a note of something that's uh, evidently happening right now, which um, is uh, a uh, a change of of procedure here. It is my understanding that as I deliver this special order this evening, uh, the cameras are panning this chamber, demonstrating uh, that there is no one here in the chamber to listen to these remarks. Uh, That is evidently the the work of a a change in, in in the pattern of rules around here. It is one more example of how uh, uh, this body is run, uh, the kind of arrogance of power that uh, the members are uh, uh, given that kind of, uh, uh, of uh, change with absolutely no warning. I see the gentleman from California, Mr. Coelho, was standing in the back of the chamber just a moment ago. Mr. Coelho has uh, talked um, uh, in recent weeks about shutting off these special orders and not allowing them to even be seen uh, in the countryside. And uh, he stands in the back of the chamber now smiling. I have to, I have to feel that perhaps uh, he is getting worried that some of the things that are being said in this chamber in these special orders are in fact influencing people out across the country to think that this body is something less uh, than uh, uh, what the American people think it ought to be. 
That led to a showdown just a few days later between O'Neill and Gingrich on the floor in 1984 that was, in a very identifiable sense, the end of the old anti-media speakership and the beginning of the new. Say anything about, the, about things of that nature. Very interesting. My personal opinion is this. You deliberately stood in that well before an emptied house and challenged these people, and you challenged their Americanism. And it's the lowest thing that I've ever seen in my 32 years in Congress. Mr. Speaker, if I may reclaim my time, let me say, first of all, Mr. That, Speaker, I move that we take the Speaker's words down. What you've just heard here is Tip O'Neill getting his wings clipped. He's aggressively confronting this irritating backbencher, and now his words are deemed outside the appropriate character of the House, as Mississippi veteran lawmaker Trent Lott has pointed out. My personal opinion is that you deliberately stood in that well before an empty House and challenged these people, and you challenged their Americanism, and it is the lowest thing that I have ever seen in my 32 years in Congress. What's wrong with that? Does the gentleman from Massachusetts have a request? A gentleman from Texas have a request? Chair, has the chair ruled? Chair has not ruled. Chair has not ruled. If the chair would uh, rule, I have a uh, request that I'd like to make. If the chair would uh, rule, then I would like to. The chair uh, feels that that uh, type of characterization should not be used in debate. Uh, after the chair's ruling, Mr. Speaker, I, I'm, I ask unanimous consent at this point that the speaker be allowed to continue in order. Without objection. To object. Gentlemen, state Would the gentleman from Mississippi indicate to me the uh, uh, intent and purpose of that unanimous request? The uh, speaker's words have been taken down. Uh, the chair has ruled <laughs> that they were not in uh, proper order of conduct on this floor. And based on that, I now ask that the speaker be allowed to continue in order so that we can uh, con continue this debate and so that the speaker can uh, more properly state uh, his position. And that requires a unanimous consent? I am asking for that unanimous consent. Our point has been made. Uh, I, I think that uh, we want to change the tenor of this debate, and we should now proceed on a higher plane with this debate. A higher plane, indeed. I wonder how often this same standard could be applied effectively today, but most members don't seem to be aware that it even exists. By 1994, when Gingrich ascended to the job a decade later, the Speaker had now become a, a job that was very much front and center leading the most populist faction within the government. Through the evolving status of the Speaker in the decades since, the challenge of the job has increased dramatically. Now, the Speaker of the House is blamed for all manner of policies, even if they have nothing to do with the rules and priorities of the body. They become a focus of blame for all that is wrong with Washington, even if they have little or nothing to do with the policies in question. All this brings us to the latest bizarre political disaster implemented on Republicans by backbencher Matt Gates. For most of the history of the House, there always has been the capability of a single member to bring a motion to vacate the chair, effectively calling a snap vote on the speakership. This was the case all the way up until 2019, when it was changed in a way that benefited then-Speaker Nancy Pelosi who was concerned about the possibility of the far-left squad going after her in a narrowly divided house. 
Of course, she had nothing to actually fear from those. Because the media is a biased hellhole of partisan Democrats, reporters paid virtually no attention to that change. But they paid a lot of attention when the rule went back, returning to its prior status when Kevin McCarthy ascended to the speakership. The House conferences, Republican and Democrat, always have had rules that required a motion to vacate to be voted on by a majority of the conference. Matt Gates signed up to abide by those rules. He swore an oath to abide by those rules. But his oath doesn't matter because he's a liar. Instead, he turned around and accused Kevin McCarthy of lying in his initial negotiations made to rise to the speakership, which is itself an odd claim, given that Gates, who never voted for McCarthy in the first place, wasn't party to any agreement. Gates claimed that McCarthy didn't advance individual spe spending bills. That was the core of his uh, suggested list of terribles that was a reason to get rid of McCarthy. But he and his associates had repeatedly blocked any attempts to advance those same bills, uh, including the individual bill, for instance, on the defense spending budget, which was considered one of the most conservative defense bills in history. They then used that failure as a talking point. Calling the snap vote, Gates worked with seven other Republicans, who I have branded the hateful eight, and finding a unanimous Democratic Party more than willing to bring down Kevin McCarthy. Now, Kevin McCarthy is no great world-beating politician. He's not someone who's likely to have history books written about him. He's a fundraiser. In fact, he's the best fundraiser Republicans have, churning up millions of dollars for the GOP and electing Republicans in districts thought to be lost to Democrats in blue states across the country. It's the reason he won the majority. In 2022, wins in California and New York put Republicans over the top. And then as Speaker, he became someone who was surprisingly effective at cutting conservative deals on spending in the spring, crime and the border in the summer, all while supporting an aggressive oversight strategy that called the Biden administration to account. Even skeptics of McCarthy thought that his approach was proving surprisingly effective all the way up until he got knifed. Now, Republicans are bereft of leadership. Any conceivable speaker candidate is weaker than McCarthy in fundraising and incapable of getting even 200 votes, let alone the 216 or 217 they probably need to rise to the speakership. Personal animosity here runs very deep, and it's not about ideology. Jim Jordan is a conservative as, uh, as hell kind of candidate. He's someone who has a lot of respect, uh, even from those who uh, you know, uh, grudgingly acknowledge it and, uh, in the form of disagreement and the like. But it's not like Steve Scalise is some moderate squish who is going to take the party in a diametrically different direction. The problem is Jordan is an oversight guy. That means that he's about investigations, about FOIA requests, about calling people to account and looking at the different reforms that need to happen within government. He's not a fundraiser like McCarthy or a legislator like Paul Ryan. He's never negotiated with all the members the way that you need to in order to gain the speakership. He's promised the moderates the kitchen sink, including a massive CR, raising the cap on salt and more, and it still wasn't enough. He kept losing votes each round. All the while, you have obnoxious bullcrap artists like the utterly vacuous blowhard Steve Bannon out there claiming that anyone and everyone who rises up is unacceptable for this reason or that. Only Donald Trump as speaker will do. 
Except, of course, for that whole you don't need to be a member of a Congress to be speaker thing, which is almost uh, certainly not true and uh, historically, legally has never been tested, would utterly uh, get rejected by the courts if you actually put it to the test. What Republicans have done here is quite straightforward. They've loaded up a double-barreled shotgun with buckshot, carefully aimed it at their feet, and pulled the trigger. Matt Gates, I understand why he would want to do this. He personally hates Kevin McCarthy. He blames him for the continued investigation by the House Ethics Committee into Gates' activities with teenage girls and other questionable aspects of his behavior. House Democrats, also, what they've done here makes total sense. They're happy to cause chaos and shiv the GOP's best fundraiser, more than happy to support him, uh, in Gates, in this effort, uh, regardless of the ramifications for the country. But the effect has been far more damaging to the GOP than even the Democrats could have hoped. Without settling on a speaker, the House is now in chaos and increasingly likely to fall back into Democratic hands in November. What's more, they've effectively stopped any push toward the impeachment of Joe Biden or Alejandro Mayorkas or any oversight of the Hunter Biden situation, short-circuiting any committee work and all the efforts to get to the bottom of Biden family malfeasance. And, of course, there's all the different terrible things happening in the world right now that they've also thrown into a cocked hat. More of the Ben Dominich podcast right after this. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Matt Gates has turned out to be a Democratic wet dream. Count Chocula eyebrows and all. Conservatives, I got nothing for you. The absolute nutballs who've done nothing at all in Congress as a staffer or a member are running the media show now, and you are imprisoned by it. They've decided that it's good TV to bring down the whole of the Republican conference from the inside, not based on any deep principle, not based on any real ideology, but based on the personal animosity of members toward the speaker candidates they just don't like. The overall effect of this is clear. They've empowered the Senate. The Senate Republicans under Mitch McConnell have had to bow to the GOP leadership in the House for much of the past year, resulting in more conservative policies in every respect. Now they're in the leadership role again, so policies are going to get much, much worse for conservatives in the foreseeable future. At the last minute before the final Jim Jordan vote, the hateful eight penned a letter offering to accept any kind of revenge from the rest of the House conference for their misdeeds in exchange for a Jordan approval. Strip us of our committees, shave off our abilities to legislate, kick us out of the conference. They offered themselves up as tribute, as if they were admitting that all they really want to do in Congress is to be able to use that as a justification to be on television. House Republicans laughed at this, as if they need permission from the victims to shoot them in the head. Tom McClintock, a longtime Republican member from California, wrote a letter in response, which read in part, Your letter of October 20th, in which you graciously offer to martyr yourselves as long as you can get your way, is perhaps the most selfless act in American history. I was certain that our Republican colleagues who refused to vote with the Republican majority would have been inspired by your stirring example of party discipline and loyalty to vote with the team, as you so eloquently phrased it. We truly don't deserve you. So I return to the question. What is the speaker for? Why do they exist? 
what is it they are supposed to do? And I suppose the answer now is be the sacrificial lamb for whatever the craziest people in their Republican conference are willing to claim is an inspiring bit of principle. So by all means, I encourage you, follow Matt Gates. It's exactly what the swamp wants. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.